Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Hi, everybody. My name is Neil Thompson. I am the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is a public speaking course called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about that, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that is teachthegeek.com. From developing characters to developer evangelists, Chloe Condon has made quite the transition. She was once a stage actor, but now she works in the tech field. I'm very interested to find out how she made that transition. Welcome to Teach the Geek Interviews, Chloe. Thanks for having me. I am actually really jealous that you came up with the developing characters to developing. <laughs> I've never heard that one before. I'm going to have to use that going forward. <laughs> well, if you do use it, I need to get the, the recognition that it came from me first. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So just out of curiosity, was, was acting always something you wanted to do? Yeah, so um, acting was always something that was definitely first and foremost in my mind. Both of my parents uh, were from the performing arts. My dad's a director, playwright, and my mother's uh, was a costume designer. So um, I grew up going to theater camp. I grew up doing after-school theater classes. I went to a performing arts high school. Um, so my life was definitely marinated in theater and especially musical theater because that's what I loved to do. <laughs> Okay, so how exactly did you break into theater? Um, well, it was pretty easy considering I, I kind of was born into it. Uh, my parents always joked around that I was born in a trunk. Um, I was sitting in on auditions and working the concession stand and, you know, from age four onward. Um, so I guess as far as breaking into it, um, a lot of it is just going out and doing it. Um, so theater is a little bit different than engineering in that you kind of have to earn your stripes in a sense. I mean, obviously we have that in engineering where we have senior roles and management. There's ways to work up in the ranks. But with theater, there was a lot of putting in time. So, okay, I really want to play a lead role, but if I want to get a part at this theater, I have to do ensemble a couple times and kind of, you know, get to know the, the team and the company and work my way up. So a lot of it was just auditioning a lot <laughs> and then performing a lot and then deciding from there you know what kind of shows and and things I wanted to do and once I made sort of a name for myself in the Bay Area um, I really had a sense of like okay these are the roles that I'm able to get and this is you know these are the companies I should be working at. Okay well I don't know if you know this but you and I have that in common we also I've, I've done a bit of acting myself Oh, nice. Well, <laughs> the acting I did wasn't exactly my choice. So when, <laughs> when, I, when I was a child, I, I used to, well, uh, every Sunday, my, my family and I, we would all go to church. And the church that we went to, we used to have Christmas plays mm. every year. And I, I was in them. But <laughs> I, I didn't volunteer to be in any of them. <laughs> my mother would volunteer me to be in, in these plays. And then she'd come home, and she'd have the script. And she gave, and she'd say, you know, like you're playing Joseph. You're, you're doing it. Bigger <laughs> lines. <laughs> it's actually kind of funny because the extent of most of my religious knowledge came from musical theater. So, um, Jesus Christ Superstar, Joseph and the Type of Color Dreamcoat, um, but I never got to perform in them, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, cool. So. You're doing, you're, you know, as I mentioned in the intro, and, you, and you've already stated you, you've been working as a 
you know, in theater acting, where did this motivation to get into technology come from? Yeah, so it was, a lot of it was sort of by chance. Um, so I was working nine to five Monday through Friday in a lot of different roles at tech companies, but not in engineering or you know code heavy roles. So I was doing a lot of executive assistant work. I was a recruiter for a while. I worked as customer support at a video game company. Um, I really, to be perfectly honest, didn't know what engineers did until maybe four years ago, um, I knew that they were these white guys who rolled in with Patagonia vests on around 11. <laughs> and they were all really nice, but I had no idea what they were doing behind their computers. Um, so by chance, I heard a talk at Google that was about getting young women like elementary school, middle school, high school interested in programming by adding characters to Nickelodeon Disney Channel shows. And it was honestly just happenstance that I was even at this talk. And um, I just started dating my boyfriend, who's an Android developer, and I kind of lamented to him, wow, these girls who code programs are so cool and exciting. I wish I had had that as a kid. And, you know, he said, you can still learn, you know that, right? Which was not anything that had ever occurred to me before. I was this actress who had her blinders on and had a day job to kind of support herself um, to do theater, which looking back was sort of an extracurricular in my life in, in a lot of ways. So um, I kind of put this concept to work of like, what if I put all the time and energy that I put towards theater, which was a lot of time and energy, um, to give some context, I would work nine to five, get off work, have from five to six to just shove dinner into my mouth and then go to rehearsal from like 6.30 to, you know, 11 p.m. Um, and so I, just by making that little switch and being like, theater's always going to be there. Let's see if I can do this coding thing. Um, kind of open this door to eventually going to a boot camp and uh, now working as a software engineer, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> oh, wow. So I just out of curiosity, what, what exactly is a, is a boot camp? I don't know what those are. Sure, yeah. So um, boot camps have kind of popped up within the last, I would say, maybe 10 years, um, maybe maybe less than that. They're um, condensed programs, so mine was 12 weeks long. I went to one called Hackbrite, um, which is an all-female software engineering boot camp. And basically, it's for people like myself um, who maybe didn't learn computer science growing up, didn't have that uh, you know, in high school, college, um, and decide later in life that they want to become software engineers. So a lot of people my age, I mean, I was 26, I guess, when I went to Hackbrite, um, don't have the money to go back to a four-year college or, um, you know, they don't have the time and resources to, to be self-taught. So these programs are these really intense. Um, they range anywhere to three to six months. Some are part-time, some are full-time. Mine was full-time and very intense, um, where you basically learn all of programming, <laughs> everything from, uh, so my, my program was Python, JavaScript. Um, to give some context, you learn recursion in a day. <laughs> they also teach you how to whiteboard. They teach you um, about the industry, and it's kind of a fire hose of information being sprayed in your face, but by the end, um, you're ready to go and interview as a junior software engineer. Um, what's been exciting is about three years ago when I attended Hackbrite, boot camps were relatively new, and people were like, I don't know, are these, you know, get-rich-quick schemes, like how did these work? But it's been really amazing, um, especially recently, to see how many women from my program, but also people from boot camps all over the world, male or female, um, 
are now in senior roles and management roles. Like these are people who have completely changed their life, done a 180. People have been teachers before, people who have been horticulturists, like all kinds of different backgrounds. Um, and what's really amazing about it and something that I advocate a lot for, uh, I get a lot of people saying, where are these, you know, diverse hires like where do I find them where are the people like you where are the people who have you know and I actually find that a lot of um, gender diversity comes from boot camps a lot of women are attending these but also as far as ethnicity is concerned a lot of people who are not offered like who don't look like the traditional engineer going through these programs and they're a really wonderful pool of talent because these people have had lives before being an engineer. Like for myself, I bring in all of this background and experience in performing arts that is just groundbreaking to engineers who, um, you know, when I do an event or when I do public speaking, it's just a night and day difference on my skills versus a traditional four-year computer science degree engineer. That being said, wish I could have gone to a four-year college, wish that I had had that epiphany much younger in life, but um, very thankful to have kind of this theater experience to bring into technology. Okay, interesting. So for people like yourself that go to these boot camps and in, in, I guess in contrast to people that get those you know, computer engineering or computer science degrees from four-year institutions, do you find that there's kind of a, what's, what's the best way to put this? A, not necessarily a, a pecking order, but do you find that the, the people that have science, the, the four-year degrees see the people that came from boot camps as equals or do they see them as, you know, the underlings because you just, because you just go to a boot camp? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I do see some very interesting kind of like uh, <laughs> reactions to boot camps. Um, in particular, when I was a junior engineer, to give some context, all of my network and friends and everyone work at you know Facebook, Airbnb, Google. We have friends at all these you know large startups, big and small. Um, and my career services people said, "Oh my goodness, you're going to have no trouble, you know, getting your foot in the door at some of these companies." Unfortunately, you know, and this was three years ago when I was looking for a junior role. There were a lot of companies that said, "Oh, we don't interview boot camp grads. We interviewed one boot camp grad once before, and it didn't go well." That's really almost like saying, we interviewed a blonde white woman before. We, we really prefer not to. Um, not all boot camps are created equally. Um, I did a lot of research before I decided to go to Hackbrite. Um, there's some really great ones out there. There's some not so great ones. I find that as far as the reaction is concerned, those who have worked with boot camp grads, like, are huge fans. Um, here at Century, we've hired, I think we have maybe eight or nine uh, Hackbrite grads who work here and bootcamp grads. Um, these are people who learn very quickly and are very malleable. I think for a lot of people who maybe haven't done the research and just hear about these boot camps, like that sounds ridiculous, um, have some negative feeling, like maybe there's a pecking order in that way, like, oh, you know, Chloe went to a boot camp. Um, but actually what I've found is people are really shocked to hear that I went to a boot camp. Now that I've been in the industry about three years and I'm about to um, move into a new role, uh, I, I find that it's a pleasant surprise when people say, oh, I just assumed that you went to a four-year <laughs> college because I have imposter syndrome all the time, clearly. as I think as boot camp grads, we do feel a little like, oh my gosh, scary engineer who's been doing this longer than me. I'm not worthy. Um, but it's been really interesting to, to see people who've worked with boot camp grads and also people who mentor at boot camps and just realize how much time and energy and hustle these people are doing to do a complete um, life change. Because you don't just wake up one morning and go, you know what? 
I think I'm going to do a boot camp today. Like it's a huge financial investment. You have to quit your full-time job. Um, I always joke around and say, just going through boot camp should be a badge of honor. Like that should get your foot in the door. That being said, now that I've been in the industry a couple years, it's so much easier to uh, get interviews and, and to, to get jobs. And I get a lot of inbound um, inquiries, which is really wonderful and amazing. So I always tell people the first job after boot camp is the hardest, but um yeah, I would say there's a little bit of, every once in a while I'll experience a little bit like you into boot camp, but um, now that I've been in the industry longer, it's you into a boot camp, so <laughs> the inflection changes a little bit as time goes on. All right, cool. Well, <laughs> I, I went to this conference earlier this month, and there was a session in there, and we were talking about the importance or maybe the non-importance of, of a four-year degree, and one of the questions I had for the, the panelists were, if you want to move up in a company, would having a four-year degree be helpful? And if you don't have it, is it impossible for you to you know, ascend to certain positions? So as someone with, uh, that comes from, from the boot camp world, is it possible for you to move up in your company to be, you know, and, you know, to, to move up to any position and, and just like a four-year person perhaps has that opportunity? Absolutely. I mean, I, uh, I'm about to start a senior role at a major company. So I'm very happy to see that it definitely translates. Um, I think also, as far as a four-year degree is concerned, especially with computer science, um, computer science is such a field in which everything is changing all the time. And if you're not constantly learning, regardless of a degree, regardless of a boot camp, regardless of being self-taught, because I meet a lot of engineers who are self-taught as well. Mm. Um, if you don't have that drive and that passion to just continue, like, you know, oh, awesome, I've become a master of JavaScript and Python, or I've become a master of Java. Okay, now I need to learn Kotlin. Now I need to, there's so many different things that if you just remain stagnant and just kind of rely on a degree, you're not going to be able to move up in the industry. Um, what's been really wonderful to see is how many people from these boot camp grads have moved up. And a lot of times they'll have mentors. Like for example, my, my boyfriend, I consider one of my mentors. He's been in the industry a lot longer than me. He has a four year traditional computer science degree. Um, and my mentors that they assigned me at Hackbright as well have been, I kind of use their wisdom and knowledge, but also to give some context out of my three mentors at Hackbright, Two had computer science degrees and one was self-taught <laughs> and worked at DocuSign. So it's really interesting to see uh, how people are reacting now, now that we have these bootcamp grads who are really high up in the ranks, you know, co-founding companies, running companies. I think we'll see a lot of uh, industry changes um, and, and being a little more lenient on requiring degrees, because that certainly was an issue for me when I was applying for roles traditionally, like through a recruiter or through a, a um, recruiting software, I would get filtered out automatically because they would go, theater degree, mm -mm, and I would get an automatic no. Mm -hmm. But I actually find now that I interview at those companies that I did as a junior, they're like, oh my God, we'd love to have you work here. And I'm like, funny story. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of opportunity. I don't think there's much of a difference between between a degree and a, and a you know, self-taught or boot camp moving up. All right. So I, I mentioned in the intro that you work as a developer evangelist. What exactly is a developer evangelist? Yeah, so um, it's a really unique role. I like to explain it as a extroverted engineer. Um, 
it uh, typically sits on the marketing team or it reports into product and it involves a couple of things. It involves um, creating content, educating developers. Um, a lot of times I'll do public speaking, so I'll speak at conferences. Um, it's a role usually that's, that is on um, for products that have uh, developer tools. Um, so for example, at Century, we're an open source error logging reporting tool where you help make sure that engineers know how to use your product. Um, so yeah, it's really fun. Um, I get to do a lot of, I get to meet a lot of really interesting people. I get to make content with a lot of interesting people. There's a lot of writing involved. I basically figured out this is a role I wanted to do when I was going to Hackbrite and all the women were presenting their projects and everyone was really scared to do public speaking. Um, and for me, you know, this theater girl who's been on stage since age four, I kind of went, this is the best, easiest part. Like <laughs> all we have to do is talk in front of people. So that was obviously a very interesting niche that I brought into the industry. And now I get to be a technical person who also does public speaking and rights and networks. And it's all the things that I love in one role. <laughs> nice. So I read your, your article, what it's like to be a woman at a tech conference. And I, I, got, I got a pretty good chuckle out of it, especially <laughs> the part where you were talking about going into the bathroom and you pretty much have your pick of stalls. That yeah. Must, that must be pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely the opposite of theater. <laughs> so what motivated you to write that article? Um, I think a big thing for me was it was around the time that there was a lot of really kind of interesting things coming out in the news, you know, around Uber and Google about being a woman in tech. And I really wanted to show the perspective of kind of a, lighthearted comedic approach because these were everyday things that I encountered in my life. Um, and as an actress, it was all women, no men. So to go into this new world that was all men, almost zero women was like a huge shake to me. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it just kind of like flowed out of me. Um, I kept having these very similar experiences at, as I started to go to conferences and thought, this must be a shared experience. This can't just be me. So I think a lot of people, the responses that I get to that article are either a lot of women going, yes, like this is what it's like, and a lot of men going, hi, I never thought of it that way. Thank you for shedding light on it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I, I also just been doing a bit of research on you. I saw that you were included in the I guess the Grace Hopper Conference 2018 gallery. So it was, I guess it was a, it was a, was it a photo shoot or did it, did it involve other things besides that? Yeah, it was a photo shoot. And then there was um, an interview. There's a really interesting video, I think that Anita B put out, maybe it's on YouTube or something, um, where they interviewed, a, I think it was 20 different women about their experience of being a woman in STEM. And yeah, it was really cool. Very fancy photo shoot. I felt like I was in vogue. <laughs> wow. So how did you, how did they even find you to, for you to be included in it? Um, I think honestly, I tweet a lot <laughs> and maybe they found me from my Twitter. Um, I think I'm, I'm a little more vocal in tech than a lot of uh, people are. Um, and I tend, a lot of the writing that I do on Twitter specifically is comedic stuff. Um, so it's a very interesting niche of like tech puns and feminist stuff and like technical content um, and I think that the people putting it together just kind of found me through a recommendation or through Twitter. Okay well I, I'm just out of curiosity I know that you, you work as a, as a developer evangelist now but do you still act from time to time? Um not really it is such a especially traditional theater um, is such a huge time commitment to give some context um, 
I mean, doing one show is about two months of rehearsals and then a month of performances and it's all nights and weekends. Every once in a while, I'll still do like a one night only concert or gay living with friends um, or even uh, commercial works really easy because that's, you know, a couple hours just shooting. But I'm not actively auditioning anymore. <laughs> but every once in a while, I find myself, you know, involved in a small short term project. <laughs> All right. Well, you mentioned in as part of your job as a developer evangelist that you have to do public speaking. Is public speaking something you've always been good at? And if not, what have you done to get better at it? Yeah, you know, being an actress, I think that public speaking is not even something I've ever had to think about. Um, like I, I, I know that I talk to a lot of people, especially in tech, who when they get on stage, they they're like, I don't know how you do it. I get really nervous. I think since I've been doing this since I was, you know, three or four, um, I don't feel a difference or change in my body between being in the audience and being on stage. In fact, I think I prefer being on stage. Uh, so as far as public speaking is concerned, um, theater, obviously, you're playing a character. So you're a different person when you're acting, unless you're doing, you know, improv, I guess. Uh, but you're still playing a character. But um, with technology, I did in the last couple of years kind of have to adjust how I present content to engineers because the technical audience is a very, very different audience than that of a musical. Um, when I do musical theater, I'm very used to people laughing and, you know, clapping and, and there's a lot of interaction between you and the audience. So I think the biggest adjustment for me has been knowing how to present content to developers, which is a whole other skill. So that's been kind of the last, you know, two years of my life is trying to perfect that. <laughs> All right. Do you have a process for when you have to do public, or do public speaking engagement? And if so, what is it? A process? Um, well, usually I have a lot of notes in my slides. So I kind of treat my slides a bit like a script. Um, if I'm really comfortable with the material, it's easier for me to sort of riff off of it, especially if I've given the talk a bunch of times. Um, but as far as the process is concerned, not really. I mean, I'm the kind of person that someone's, someone's like, hey, Chloe, you want to go up and give a talk? I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's kind of a, at this point, I, I, I've been doing it so much lately that it just feels like a little back pocket thing that I'm able to it's like a party trick. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds to me like you don't typically get nervous when you do public speaking, but if you do, how do you deal with those nerves? Yeah, I don't typically get nervous, but I will share something that as an actress made me feel a lot less nervous, um, especially with auditioning. Because if you've ever been to an audition before, it's super uncomfortable. You go into a very small room, there's, or sometimes it's a big room, and there'll be like three or four people behind a table. Sometimes they're eating a sandwich, not paying attention to you. And um, I would get really nervous at auditions because I would think, wow, like I'm going to screw up. Um, but once I was able to sit on the other side of the table and watch other people audition, I realized this, I had an epiphany, which was basically, oh, wow, these people want me to do a good job. They don't want me to do a bad job. They actually want to find the best person and they want me to walk out of this room being the person they cast in the show. And I think it's the same with giving uh, technical talks. Like, I highly suggest um, to help yourself not get nervous go to a conference or go to a bunch of meetups and sit and watch other people talk. Take notes for yourself like, okay, like I like how they did this. I, I would have done this differently. But also notice that like as a audience member, how much you want this talk to be good. I think we have kind of this fear of all these people sitting in the audience thinking like, I hope she falls. I hope she messes up a word. I hope the demo doesn't work. When in reality, 
all these people have showed up to see your talk. Like they want you to do a good job. Um, so yeah, no, not so much dealing with nerves nowadays, but every once in a while, I will admit, I, I will look out at an audience, especially because I'm a five foot two blonde girl who like wears bows in her hair. I'm very quirky. Um, and I do get kind of intimidated sometimes when I'm in front of an audience that's mostly older white men who could be my dad. Like I have a lot of imposter syndrome around like, oh my God, what am I doing here? Um, so I think to just like give the best performance that you can, that's, that's all you can do. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, you know what? I mean, I've heard other people talk about imposter syndrome as well. And it's, yeah, it, 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 it certainly does seem to be a, a, a problem in, in this world, but always take note that wherever you're at, that's where you're supposed to be. Exactly. Yeah. I think we all, we, the more I talk to people about it, the more I realize we're all just very confused people who hope no one figures out we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> well, besides watching others and, and, you know, taking note of, of things that they do well and always having the mindset that people in the audience want you to do well. Is there other other tips that you would have for someone who wants to get better at public speaking? Yeah, so I've actually been giving um, a keynote that hopefully the video will be coming out soon for, I did it at DjangoCon last week. Um, something that I've been doing and that I encourage others to do is the biggest, well, there's a lot of difference between theater and engineering, obviously, but when it came to presentations, meetups, public speaking, keynotes, everything, I. I noticed there is this huge lack of humor <laughs> going on, even in content. Um, so something that I've tried to do, especially while I've been working at Century, is to remember this idea that engineers are people too, and they really like to be entertained. <laughs> and I think we forget that sometimes, especially when we're doing public speaking. You know, we've all heard that one speaker who talks like this, and they're so scared to be on stage, and even their body language is just showing that they don't want to be there. Right. Um, so something that I love to recommend to people is to include like entertainment and humor in what you do. Um, there was a woman that I saw recently, um, Eve Porcello over at a React meetup and she was cracking me up. She, not only was it awesome because the app that she was demoing was a React app that people in the audience could interact with, but also she had these note cards where she wrote questions on them and then handed them to people in the audience. Cause it's so often that you go to a meetup or you give a talk, you say any questions, no one has one. And she had these really funny questions she was handing out to people like, Hey, Chloe, first of all, great outfit. Love your talk. Secondly, how do I incorporate the API? Like, it was so good and it woke people up because oftentimes we go to these conferences or meetups, we're tired, we're jet lagged, we've done a full day of work. And remembering, and that's something that I really like to bring in from my theater background and degree is. I started going to these talks and meetups and I was like, wow, these are really boring because <laughs> I'm so used to going to musicals and mind you, no one is singing and dancing in, in technical talks, but um, in my talks, I really try to add a lot of gifts, add, you know, puns, add, I tell a lot of dad jokes. Um, I try to make it as exciting and fun as possible so people walk away remembering that because the, the whole concept of memory hooks um, is really powerful. And I would, anything from an image to a joke to a video can really make an impression on someone's brain. We only retain a certain amount of information at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, incorporating just humor and just remembering that your audience wants to have fun and they genuinely want to be there and providing that sort of element of humor, even if it's like cracking a joke in an OKR meeting or something, like is worth it to, to get spirits up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. 
Well, this has all been really, really interesting to, to hear, Chloe. Is there anything else you'd like to, to, to share that we haven't covered? Um, I'm trying to think. I guess uh, we've, we've covered a lot of different things. I would say if you have any interest in attending boot camps, um, there's a lot of really great resources online like Course Report and uh, Hackbrite has a lot of blogs. So definitely check those out and um, find me on Twitter. <laughs> Excellent. At Chloe Condon. At Chloe Condon. All right. So that's how people, that's the, your preferred method for people to contact you? Yes. Yes. Okay. Twitter is great. All right. Excellent. Well, that, that, that marks the end of, of, of this episode of Teach the Geek Interviews. I'd like to thank our guest, Chloe Condon. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is Teach the Geek to Speak. It's an online public speaking course. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care.